Hello and welcome to the Comic Cave. I'm Ramsey, aka Captain Away, and it's time for another episode of First Volume. Today my guest is Brian. Would you like to introduce yourself, Brian? Not really, but I guess I gotta. <laughs> uh, I, I'm Brian. I I don't know what I, what else I need to say about myself. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, uh, it's. I definitely am not um, getting celebrities or anything at this point, so I'm just grabbing my friends that are willing to do this for me. I guess I, I can add that uh, Brian has helped out on uh, my other podcast, The Antiverse, in the past. Uh, and so if anyone ever listens to The Antiverse, maybe you've heard him, but you probably haven't, so. <laughs> yeah, I think I was <laughs> on like maybe two episodes. Yeah, that sounds about right. So anyway... What are we going to be talking about today? What's our first volume today, Brian? It is Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Uh, you know, I actually, I don't think, uh, kind of embarrassingly, I don't think I'd looked at who the artist was. Is, is that a woman? Or is that, a, is that one of the writers? Uh, that's just the two names that are on the front of the, of the tray. <laughs> okay, so I assume enough. that's the artist. Maybe also writer, I don't know. Oh, yeah, let, let, let me go ahead. I have the... I could probably pull up the comic here real quick. Okay, yes, that's the artist. All right. <laughs> I mean, comics are um, pretty collaborative, so I, I assume she had uh, some writing input as well. Right. Yeah, especially with uh, indie comics. Um, you know, like in the, in the major stuff, DC and Marvel stuff, um, you'll probably have kind of almost like an assembly line thing sometimes probably where you're just kind of doing whatever you're told to do but in and the less you know in the yeah the less major stuff in the indies and the the like creator owned stories it's going to be a lot more collaborative usually but yeah pretty cool this comic is actually from um 2012 i think is what i was uh, seeing the other day that's actually already kind of old <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> Yeah, I think it went on a pretty long hiatus a few years ago. I don't know if it's running again yet. Uh, yeah, I the honestly, uh, if it had been planned to start running again, it was probably delayed by COVID along with everything else. Um, so it could it could be that they had planned to start it again already and ha didn't get the chance. But yeah, so. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what the comic is, uh, in case anyone's unfamiliar with it. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on that side of things? I mean, I, I like science fantasy. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's a science fantasy space opera, which is like a bunch of my favorite genres all mushed together. I mean, yeah, like... Honestly, I didn't really know anything before I started reading this uh, first volume. Beyond that, it was kind of a popular series and that Brian K. Vaughn wrote it, and I like Brian K. Vaughn. But yeah, so I, I was kind of not expecting... I knew it, I knew it was sci-fi, but I didn't know how fantasy it was going to be. It is, it is basically a fantasy with space travel. Yeah, pretty much. Robots, I guess. <laughs> Maybe robots, it's really unclear. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on with the with the robot guys. It's really weird. Yeah. So that was uh it it is really <laughs> I don't even I'm not even sure. It's it's so much stuff. It's like kind of hard to even say. Um 
I guess let's kind of go over what happens in the first volume. Uh, so the first volume is kind of about two characters from different races uh, that are... Are they currently at war? Is that the... Yeah, yeah, currently at war. Sounds like they have been at war for a pretty long time. Right, it's almost like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing going on because they're married uh, now and they've like run away. Yeah, yeah, there's cultures. a character who actually refers to them at one point as star-crossed dipshits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely, like, just going ahead and hanging a lantern there on on the fact that it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they've, they've run away, and the, the, the female alien is having a baby at the start. And apparently, what we learn pretty early on is that this entire story is actually being told by the baby, um, I guess, after they've grown up. So that's kind of a little bit of a spoiler that they give themselves. <laughs> yeah, but it's not too uncommon as a narrative device. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess w- basically all that tells us really, though, is that the baby lives, um, or theoretically the baby lives, and it's not just telling it from, like, baby heaven or something. Well, there are um, ghosts, so... Yeah, true, there are literally ghosts in the story, so... Uh, yeah, I guess I guess anything really could happen, um, and we don't, we don't know anything about the parents who, you know... So, it's all of finding out what happens to them, really. Uh, so what did you, what did you think of the, the main characters... nothing about them really grabbed me very strongly yeah honestly they kind of didn't seem to get much characterization in this first volume at least Uh, like kind of the the major side characters it seemed like got a lot more characterization than the main characters did (laughs) yeah like there there are sort of some hooks for the two uh, parents, but yeah, you know, th- there's not a whole lot to really grab onto in the first volume. Yeah, I know they. We meet like so the 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 way the two met. I we should probably learn their names here, but um, <laughs> Alana and Marco. Alana and Marco. Yes, that's right. Okay, thank you. Um, so Alana was like a warden, sort of, and not a warden, but like a jailer. And Marco was in a jail, essentially in jail, on on her planet, on a planet that she was on as a warrior. Yeah, it's just like, like a, a backwater uh, planet that's that got roped into the war between their two sides. Yeah, and so um, so he's he's essentially a POW. And she's essentially just like a guard at the prison where he's being kept and they meet. Um, and I do know they, they talk to one of like the other guards and um, she says that uh, I already forgot. Is it Alana? Alana. Alana. Uh, she says that Alana was like really into romance novels. Um, <laughs> that's one of like the most like the biggest characterizations we get for her entire character is that she apparently really loves romance novels. Um, the kind with, like, the the naked men on the front, um, I think is what she says. That are also probably some kind of subversive 
propaganda or something. But yeah, yeah that that that's sort of the the big hook I feel like for her is what is in those books that is so important to her because they're obviously more than just romance novels. Yeah. Yeah, so like we learn we do learn by the close to the end of the first volume that like she apparently is really fascinated by the author of of at least one of them in particular. So like they actually try to head to the planet where the author lives. So there yeah, there might be something more going on than them just being romance novels, I guess. I like I like that the uh so the <laughs> the robots the robots are like the the nobility um but they're not really like robots they have like human bodies but like tv heads um which is or maybe computer monitor would you say that's like a computer monitor or like a tv uh i mean any kind of crt really yeah but yeah like i'm not even sure how that works <laughs> Like, they display, like, emotion stuff on the screen, it seems like. Um, but, like, how do they see? <laughs> it's like it's like a I, camera and a TV at the same time. I think this might be one of those things where it's just... It's a science fantasy setting, so it's probably a combination of, like... Doesn't necessarily make sense in a real-world kind of way. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely seems like <laughs> uh, like they weren't thinking too hard about how that worked. I don't know, maybe there's going to be a detailed explanation later on in the series, I don't know. But uh, I, I do like that kind of one of them, one of the nobility is kind of sent after these two to hunt them down. Um, so he's the one who learns about her interest in the romance novels, and they actually show him like reading her the like one of the romance novels that she had um and i thought that was kind of funny that he like took an interest in that i mean it's evidence that's true it is evidence it's uh it's thorough <laughs> i guess so did you get the impression because the impression it gave me was it's it seemed to be kind of suggesting that that her people were either like kind of from earth and his people were kind of from the moon of Earth, or that at least it was very, like, similar style. It was, like, from a planet, uh, kind of, I think they even said that maybe everyone was from the same planet, but then, like, his people had gone to live on the moon, because there was only, like, one moon of the planet. Did you kind of catch that? I, I don't think they established, like, how exactly their species are related, just that uh, Alana's people are from the very large planet. Marco's people are from its one moon, and they hate yeah. each other. And no one seems to really, <clears throat> no one seems to really know why they hate each other anymore. Right. One thing they one thing they cover uh, is that the they speak different languages, um, and uh, Marco's people apparently speak Esperanto. Which I thought was really weird. Do you, do you know? Do you even know what Esperanto is? I'm yeah, you know. I didn't know that's <laughs> what they were speaking. I I assumed that they had just made it up. Yeah, I'm, well, that's why. Yeah, it's very interesting because like there's at least one point where he specifically says 
Oh, because they, they use, like, his grandmother's wedding rings or something like that. Um, and uh, his the... fiance's grandparents' wedding rings. Right. So, yeah, and so, like, her grandparents were from um, two people who spoke different dialects of the same language. Um, so in order to, like, understand each other, they had, like, these special translation rings created for when they got married. Um, and so that's kind of why he uses the, those rings uh, in their marriage so that they can understand each other because they would speak different languages. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure how that works. Um, if, if it's really supposed to be Esperanto that they're speaking... Um, <laughs> but, uh, if they're saying that maybe, like, some point in the future, Esperanto, uh, evolves into, like, multiple <laughs> languages, so maybe they're not uh, even exactly using Esperanto, just, like, kind of making up something really similar. I don't know, what, what were you about to say? Oh, I, I don't think that this has any, I don't think the setting has any relation to earth it didn't seem like to me like like I, I don't think earth exists in this galaxy right yeah i mean i i think it could just be uh partially me trying to read into it and partially like um just a way of representing like a foreign language um probably maybe they were hoping that'd be like that way no one would kind of recognize it for what it is. Um, and it would just seem like a made-up language. Which, I mean, Esperanto is a made-up language. It was It's only like 100 years old. It was created um, to be like a world language um, by combining like all the European languages into one language. Um, and because it's claiming to be a world language and really only uses European languages, it's, it's kind of fallen out of favor um, but I still think it's kind of a fascinating language. Um, so I've actually studied it just a little bit. Um, I tried learning it at one point. <laughs> uh, so I do know, I do know a few words. So yeah, there was the point I realized it, um, was, uh, in the, in the sixth issue, uh, Marco's grandparents appear, um, and immediately like just they just like show up and they're just like, uh, Kie estas mia nabo, which is, or kanabo, I think is how it's actually said, which is just, where is my knife or sword, I guess, because he's kind of looking for a sword. That's like literally just Esperanto for, for that. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Uh, so they're speaking Esperanto, huh? <laughs> um, so I just, I thought that was really funny that that was the choice they went with instead of just like making something up. Um, or using an, like, an actual Earth language or something, they went with Esperanto. I guess I mean, we're just kind of jumping all around here. Yeah, we um, are. Instead of, <laughs> instead of uh, kind of summarizing. Yeah, I, I don't know how much of a summary to do, really, is always kind of my issue. Um, you know who my favorite character is? Who? Lying Cat. <laughs> you know, I kind of, I kind of thought... Um, actually, when I was reading it, I was like, I bet Brian's going to like Lion Cat. <laughs> Lion Cat's great. <laughs> so, Which, given how this comic is going, probably means she's going to die at some point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, um, so, they're essentially, uh, since they're, nobody wants these people to be together, uh, they have all these people that are hunting after them, so 
one person or they hire a couple essentially bounty hunters i think they call them freelancers yeah um, and they're apparently like either their union is really powerful or they're just generally held in fairly high esteem or they're it's a powerful organization basically yeah i i think it, the the freelancers are all named like the something um so I thought that was interesting. I, I don't remember any of the names. I'm so terrible with names. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the only ones that are in this volume are the Will and the Stock. Right. Yeah, they're the only ones here. They list a few other names uh, at one point. But yeah, those are the ones who actually show up in this volume. And and the Will is the one who has Lion Cat. Lion Cat is like his partner. Um, who's kind of like this... like really skinny panther cat thing like a um like a sphinx but the size of a leopard yeah yeah and and apparently it can tell if you're lying and if you are lying it'll just immediately call you out on it <laughs> which is pretty great it just it's just like liar i i just liked that uh her her reactions to things are a lot like how actual cats are <laughs> like like when she gets the way she huffs when she's annoyed at something is <laughs> is is a real cat thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> the it's it's such a small part too but it it definitely makes an impression on the page just because of the way it is very cat-like and just kind of all the ways it interacts in its short time on the page uh yeah i agree lion cat was uh, definitely one of the best parts <laughs> i enjoyed i did enjoy when they met the ghost because there was kind of a big build-up they're like running away from all these people that are hunting them and there's supposed to be this thing about these like i want to say like red-eyed demons I the think horrors it was, yeah, the horrors, yeah, that are that have come out at night on the planet. And they finally meet them, and they're like a bunch of ghosts of, like, kids that have been killed on the planet during the war. Um, and they seem like really, like, average kids. Like, they, <laughs> they seem like kids from, like, today, you know? Yeah, like, even their style <laughs> is, is really just, like, mid-2000s teenager. Yeah, which is pretty pretty strange choice again but i guess i, I should stop saying that because like that's kind of everything in this um <laughs> but yeah so one of them in particular like comes along and hangs out with them uh and uh it's kind of helping them out and she's she's like disembodied from uh you know the the stomach down she has like no legs and she's kind of floating around um but I actually enjoyed her her character, personally. Um, she was kind of fun. She was kind of like, I mean, it was almost like it was almost like a Deadpool kind of thing. I feel like where she's like pointing out the ridiculousness of the situation for <laughs> for everyone reading, you know. Yeah, but not not in too much of a meta way. Just yeah, kind but, of, well, but kind yeah, of, kind just, of like, the... just like just like. How she's just kind of annoyed at being a spiritual defender of her planet because 
that's not what she wants to do. Right. <laughs> and and as you were saying, the way the comic's going, um, it it seemed like they killed her. I, I guess it's not exactly confirmed within the six issues, I don't think. Yeah, she kind of splats away, but we don't actually know if a ghost can be killed. Yeah. Because it was magic. Can magic kill ghosts? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, a tip, in, in most fantasy stories I've read, like, the only way to kill a magic being is with magic. Um, so theoretically, but I mean, it is a ghost, as you say, and like, <laughs> does that make things different? I don't know. It's weird. But uh, uh, the way Hazel, Hazel being the baby, I don't know if we established that's her name. No, I, I, we hadn't established that yet, so okay. thank you. But yeah, in, in Hazel's narration, she refers to Isabel, the ghost, as having been her first babysitter, who was then replaced by her grandparents, so that really makes it seem like Isabel died. Like, yeah. again. <laughs> Which yeah. is one of my problems with it, really. Is just... I don't really want to get invested in any, in any character because they'll probably just die. But um, yeah, like like so many characters die so suddenly. Like like there's just enough characterization that you kind of start to care about them, and then they're dead. And so I don't really. Ha want to get wrapped up in any character because yeah i mean i yeah i agree like that that bothers me a lot in in stuff uh i usually call that like stuff trying too hard to be like grown up <laughs> like uh it's like we're gonna be dark and gritty so we're just gonna kill every character left and right and it's like i mean i mean like cool that you like gore i guess but like also you know, it makes it hard to care about any characters, and then you're just, if you're just killing them indiscriminately. Um, so, like, even if you make the character interesting, like, I don't get invested in them, because, like, yeah, like you said, they're just probably just gonna die. So, I, I do feel like that is one of the, the difficulties of of trying to make a, a story that's, like, darker and more serious and grittier and, and things like that, so. Yeah, and I, I do like a lot of things where death can happen suddenly to anybody like like i like a song of ice and fire and i like attack on titan and those are both gruesome and people will just die because of a stupid mistake yeah but it happens Very suddenly it happens <laughs> After you're given enough reason to care about them, that it has an emotional impact. Right. And it happens, what, like, three or four times in the course of six issues of a comic? That's that's pretty rapid. I mean, Isabel gets splatted, like, three issues after she's introduced? That sounds about right, yeah. And I, like, I think... She was the first introduced, or the issue she was introduced was like the last page or something, I think, of the issue. So, yeah. 
And so yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's just it's so quick. I definitely like the it has a shock factor um like there's one I almost don't even want to like spoil it. Um but there there's at least one death where it was like, okay, well this character is obviously going to be like important coming down the and oh shit, they're dead. They they're already dead. Uh they've only like just come into the comic um and they're already dead and it seemed like you know there was like a big build up to them showing up yeah and then it was like, like I, I think you know who i'm talking about <laughs> yeah yeah i i do and yeah <laughs> yeah it really a, a lot of it a, a lot of it seemed just really kind of trying too hard to be edgy to me like like the fact that they actually use the phrase rape camps right like r really that's that's you're going that hard on page five <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's like a serious bomb to drop or like an emotional bomb to drop but they it was just kind of like oh we're so edgy we're just like brushing over this fact you know <laughs> yeah and the the sex space station that's full of bestiality and pedophilia is just kind of too much like it's it's so much that it crosses the line back into being goofy yeah you know actually when when they got to the sex space station um I was like, I've kind of seen this in a lot of stories that are like, especially sci-fi, like the, the, like the darker, edgier sci-fi, like I've kind of seen this basic thing in a lot of those kinds of stories. And I'm honestly kind of a little tired of it, you know, like, honestly, I, this might be getting a little too political, but <laughs> like, honestly, like, I feel like, um, you know, as, as we've evolved, um, as a culture, like, you know, some taboo things become more normalized and, uh, you know, like it, it used to be just like, it used to literally be illegal to be gay, uh, in this country, like not even like long ago, like in our parents' lifetime, it was literally illegal. Um, and like, and now it's, you know, largely culturally acceptable, you know, and hopefully acceptable, but, um, it's just weird that like like sci-fi which is supposed to be kind of forward looking has such like this obsession with like um like focusing on like depraved sexual activity um and i'm like that's not to say that like pedophilia isn't wrong cuz obviously that's like that should never be acceptable but um i i don't know, i just think it's weird that that's what so much sci-fi i've seen wants to grab onto am i making sense at all <laughs> I, I think so okay <laughs> um it's because it, it's like it's not even really it it doesn't feel like it's really addressing the issue of the fact that there's like child sex slavery and it's just it's just there to establish that the will has some kind of moral boundary. 
Like it's right. It, it, but yeah, it it just feel felt really gratuitous. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> kind of what I'm trying to get at. I, I think it's just like it just feels so unnecessary to even go there in the first place. But it almost feels like that is kind of what they wanted to do for whatever reason was to go to this incredibly unnecessary place. Um, cause I, I, and like, honestly, it's kind of a low point for the whole comic for me is just like how much sex is in the comic in general. Um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it, uh, personally. Yeah. I mean, like the, I think the, like the, literally the introduction of the robot people is a sex scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, fictionalized sex is almost always just kind of awkward and kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, so we've talked a bit about some stuff that uh, it's kind of a low point for us, but uh, I guess other other than Lion Cat, what, what is something you liked about the comic? Or was there anything? <laughs> I do like a lot of the character designs. I mean, the stock looks pretty awesome. That is true. Yeah, I I really liked like the whole like spiderness of the of the stock. Um, yeah, that that was definitely a cool character design. I I like the the dragon wings on the people. Well, I, I like how the the winged people seem to all have like different types of wings. Um, like uh. Alana, I'm so bad with names. Uh, has she has like kind of fairy wings, like kind of fairy dragony wings? I was thinking dragonfly. Okay, yeah. So yeah, kind of like dragonfly wings, and then there's another guy who has like kind of these like bat wings, and then there's like you know there's like a couple other types um, that we see. I thought that was kind of cool as part of the character design as well. Yeah, the. The moon people have uh, pretty wildly divergent horn styles, too. Oh, yeah, that's true. That kind of thing might seem almost like a small thing, but I, in comic books, I find that really helpful. Um, because, like, uh, you know, when, when the characters are being drawn, it can be hard to recognize who a character is supposed to be just from looking at them. Yeah, it's so important having... to have distinctive silhouettes. Yeah, it, it having that is is really really helpful because you know I've read comic books where they'll literally like you'll turn the page and they'll reveal that this character in shadow is like this face and it's like okay this is the first time this artist has drawn this character <laughs> though how are we supposed to know who this guy is just from his face you know like um, yeah I've definitely seen that happen it that drives me crazy so like you know having this where it's like a distinctive character, you know, some, some kind of distinctive trait that's really important. And something I think a lot of artists overlook, um, or, you know, or, or can't do anything about cause they're drawing established characters or something. But, um, yeah, it's, it's nice. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of anything else, uh, in particular that, that I liked. I mean, I guess overall, I do still like Brian K. Vaughn's writing. Um, even though, as you say, like, you know, he is trying very hard to be edgy and stuff. 
Um, I don't just the flow of his writing, I think, is really good. Um, it's something I just feel about most of the comics I've read from him. He he has a really good sense of, of flow, even if I'm not necessarily liking what the characters are saying or what the story is. Uh, I don't know. He, he has a good style to his writing, I think. I don't really have a response to that. Fair enough. <laughs> I do know. So as actually I was thinking about the other day, I first learned of Brian K. Vaughn from uh, Ultimate X-Men. So that's yeah. probably that's probably the first comic uh, of his that we've ever talked about was Ultimate X-Men. <laughs> probably. And I, I personally really liked his Ultimate X-Men run. I, I think his Ultimate X-Men run was probably my favorite uh uh writers run on ultimate x-men of the ultimate x-men i've read at least yeah that's my and recollection I, of it i guess uh other things that brian k vaughn has written would be like why the last man and paper girls uh those are pretty big comics also indie comics that he's written have you read either of those uh read some why the last man yeah. i remember really liking it like when I was in college and a few years ago, I uh, found like the first three or so volumes at the library and was, I don't remember why I was disappointed in it, just that I was. Well, that's, uh, that's bad. Cause I've been thinking of rereading that because um, I haven't read it since like college. Uh, <laughs> so that, that worries me because I, I remember liking it. Uh, but hmm, maybe I wouldn't now. Of course, I guess when Why the Last Man came out, when it started coming out at least, that kind of last man on earth trope uh, wasn't that common. Or that kind of the post-apocalyptic, mostly like last person on earth type thing. But now we have so many freaking like a post-apocalyptic last man or last person on earth type stories that have come out since then. Uh, that Maybe it's just like kind of burned out on it at this point. I mean... You even have, like, that Will Forte, like, parody of that, um, was it Will Forte? I think it was Will Forte. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was, nope. like, a TV show. Oh. Whatever. Anyway, so, uh, anything else about this comic in particular that you would want to bring up? Um, or do you think that about covers it? <laughs> New boards are gross. <laughs> what are what are gross newborns oh newborns that's true yeah <laughs> uh, we 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 belong to a generation that's kind of famous for um preferring pets over babies um but even even still like man babies are gross <laughs> uh, i mean it's a pretty faithful depiction of what a newborn looks like but yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you. Um <laughs> and the 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 I don't know, the depiction of the birth just in general I think was really odd. Um I can I don't I kinda can't help but feel like it feels like it was written by a guy and not by a woman. <laughs> I don't know. It was just like the things she was saying as she was giving birth, I don't know, maybe they were either trying to establish that it's different for this race, 
Um, or just this is what Brian K. Vaughn thinks birth is like. I don't. I don't know. Like, uh, like when she I says that it, it feels good. Yeah. That is that, actually a in, thing that happens with humans sometimes. That is, yeah. Well, and also just like literally the opening page of the comic, where like uh, the the dialogue of the entire opening page is just like, um, "Am I shitting? It feels like I'm shitting." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she's able to hold a really coherent conversation <laughs> while it's happening. <laughs> yeah. I don't. It was just. I, I don't want to say weird again, but it was. Sorry. It's, it's just really. It, it's just really running out the gate. Yeah. From page one. Yeah. Did so? Did did it grab you right away? Like, did you read those first few pages and was like, "Yeah, this is gonna be great," or? Uh, did you were like, I don't even know what to make of this, or did you like, oh, this is gonna be awful? <laughs> uh, it was kind of off-putting, but that's just that. That's just a. It just started on a thing that personally makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. Just oh, that's not what I want to see. Yeah. I mean, I think that might have been their goal, honestly. Probably. Just be like, let's be uncomfortable right out of the gate here. I, yeah, I mean, that's 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 very much how I felt about it. I was like, I read those first few pages and I was like, okay, I have no idea how this is going to go. This could not, <laughs> this could be anything at this point. Uh, I don't even know what to make of that. So, and that that's kind of ended up how, being how I felt about the whole first volume, honestly. So, <laughs> yeah. So that that brings me to my question, um, which is <clears throat> kind of my point for first volume. Um, do you see yourself reading the rest of this series, or at least the rest that's come out, or do you feel like you know, kind of what's your interest level for the future of this series? I'm not motivated to go out and buy the n next two or three volumes. I, I I would read it if I had it, but I I don't really feel strongly enough to just seek it out right me personally um i got the um kind of the big book which is actually i think the first three trades um in one collection um because i wasn't sure if uh you got just the the six issue first volume or or the book one which is that those first three collections in one mm -hmm. Um, so since I have them, I might, I might go ahead and read the next, at least the next volume, um, portion, uh, just kind of out of curiosity of what's going to be happening next. Um, but yeah, I'm not like especially inspired to finish this series, uh, personally. Yeah, there, there might be a little bit of hype backlash happening because when I first heard about it, it was all just really heavy praise for it so then i read it and it's not the most amazing thing ever and that makes it seem worse than it might otherwise yeah i definitely feel that because that, that is actually exactly what i was thinking kind of as i was reading it um is that i've only heard good things about this series so far so yeah it was kind of a letdown in comparison to that um 
I'm not entirely sure why there's been so much praise for this series, honestly. But maybe it gets better. Maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah, it might. As a, cause yeah, there's 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 a lot of background information that we don't know, and there's not any clear indication of where it's actually going from here. So the the first volume kind of just plunks you into the middle of the situation with without much guidance. Yeah. And while in general, personally, I do like it when stories start kind of in Meteor Res like that. And a lot of sci-fi, I mean, a lot of sci-fi will do this. I mean, like, read a Philip K. Dick book, and it'll take you, like, 50 pages to even understand what's happening in the first 50 <laughs> pages. You know, like, it, you'll you'll be so lost, you know? So, like, yeah, it's kind of a sci-fi thing to be lost, but... Um, you know, it has its drawbacks. <laughs> and one of those yeah. drawbacks is it makes it hard to get into the story. So. Yeah. And that might also just be a limitation of, of this first volume thing is that, you know, if you, if you're reading a novel, it works better with the format to have kind of a slow burn. Right. Slow burn with comics is difficult yeah definitely that one thing since i've started this channel oh man yeah i that has been something that has come up time and again um has just been like a read a comic and it's like clear that they were planning this story to take ages but because they were going so slow with it because of that uh you know it ended up losing its popularity and getting canceled and then they had to rush to finish it um <laughs> and yeah. so and and so it just gets awkward at the end and it kind of ruins what seems like it could have been a good story um just so many comics that's the the case for um yeah, switches to another writer who doesn't like where it was going and just <laughs> undermines the previous five years of issues yeah yeah just ignoring them completely or directly opposing them or yeah that that irritates me uh, <laughs> i mean since since this is you know not like a i mean it's Im, image does uh creator own series like all the way right i'm pretty sure yeah so it's it's probably easier to do that kind of like really long form storytelling with uh with a creator-owned series like this, it's just, it's... Trying to judge it based on the first volume is probably not really how it's intended to be read, but that's that's what we're doing. Yeah, and, and I mean, to be fair to my format, <laughs> um, you know, the comics are still something you have to purchase so you're like theoretically you're gonna want it to be something that grabs you from the beginning and yeah. encourages you to keep purchasing it and yeah so that that's kind of why i thought first volume would be a good idea personally not to get defensive or anything but <laughs> um you no, know like no, you that, be able to... that that's that's definitely fair i mean if it's a story that they decided to tell in a serialized format where you have to buy yeah. each entry yeah, I mean, and that that has its as we've been saying that has its advantages and its disadvantages. So it may be that the the story 
told as a whole gets really, really good because of that. Um, but it does make it hard, a little hard to get invested straight from the beginning. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess, I guess that about covers it. Yeah. I think I said pretty much everything I, I was thinking. I, I mean, I guess we could have gone more, <laughs> done a little bit more summarization, but eh, I think we touched on all the important stuff in my opinion. Most of the comic really is just them on the run for, for these six issues from the forces that are trying to kill them. And we kind of touched on each of those forces yeah. a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think that, I think that pretty much covers it. So, um, I guess I'll say thanks everybody for listening. Uh, and, uh, this, these will probably be up once a month is my current plan. So, uh, we actually might be recording this kind of a long time before it ends up getting posted, but, um, so thanks everybody for listening and hope to see you next time right here in the comic cave.